From the Kennan Institute in Washington, D.C., welcome to Kennan X, a podcast on our never-ending quest to understand Russia, Ukraine, and the surrounding region. I'm your host, Jill Doherty. If there's an international boogeyman, George Soros is it. Prima donna athletes protesting our anthem. Left-wing mobs paid to riot in the streets. Billionaire George Soros bankrolls the resistance. From this 2018 National Republican Congressional Committee ad that ran in Minnesota, to this Russian expose that claims Soros is part of a CIA plot, stoking wars, financial crises, and color revolutions. In reality, George Soros, now almost 90 years old, is a Hungarian-born billionaire financier and philanthropist, author of a number of books on global capitalism. Here he is almost two decades ago talking on C-SPAN with Librarian of Congress James Billington. I call this attitude market fundamentalism, and I consider it today a greater threat to what I call a global open society, then socialism and communism, for the simple reason that communism and socialism largely discredited, whereas market fundamentalism is triumphant. Soros supports liberal causes. According to the New York Times, contributing $75 million to federal candidates and committees. He's given his Open Society Foundations with a self-described mission of promoting democracy and human rights in the United States and around the world, $32 billion. Far-right conspiracy theorists have blamed Soros for the COVID-19 pandemic and accused him of funding Antifa and the Black Lives Matter movement. He's even had a pipe bomb delivered to his house. Donald Trump, in his final 2016 Argument for America campaign ad, featured Soros and two other prominent Jewish financial leaders. For those who control the levers of power in Washington and for the global special interest, they partner with these people that don't have your good in mind. His identity is such that you can kind of project whatever your prejudice is onto him. Journalist Emily Tamkin has just published a book on George Soros. She's a Russia hand with a B.A. in Russian literature from Columbia and a master's from Oxford in Russian and East European studies. Her book is called The Influence of Soros, Politics, Power, and the Struggle for an Open Society. So he's Hungarian, which means in Slovakia or Romania, where Hungarian is the minority with which there's some tension. That's kind of like, oh, that's suspicious. He works in finance, so that's suspicious. He's Jewish, so that's suspicious. And then for some people, he doesn't embrace his Judaism enough, and so that makes him suspicious. So whatever preconceived notion or prejudice or hatred you're carrying around, you can find something about Soros to dislike or latch onto that you can use to justify, to make the conspiracy theory believable. Because he gives philanthropically through open society and politically, not through open society, to liberal and progressive causes, he ends up supporting minorities, immigrants. And so what you can do with the Soros conspiracy theory, because he has given money to all these different groups, is to delegitimize them, to say, oh, well, he's paying for the protests, or, oh, he's bringing in the migrants and asylum seekers. And so a Soros conspiracy theory, you can take a grain of truth 
for a grain of some funding that was given somewhere and use it to delegitimize, vilify, and further marginalize these already marginalized groups. Could we examine the history of how Russia has used George Soros and his image? Because I guess, does it go back to the Soviet days? So his philanthropic work didn't start out in the Soviet Union, but he did eventually make it to Russia and in the early 90s gave just tremendous amounts of money to scientists and to making sure that there was the right technology to trying to produce textbooks. He also gave tremendous amounts of money to Yeltsin to try to keep the Russian economy afloat. So to say that he has somehow tried to undermine Russia or Russian development is certainly unfair and untrue. So did he have unfortunate entanglements with certain figures in Russia during his foundation's work there? Yes, he did. At one point, they found that somebody in the foundation in Russia had been conducting themselves financially improperly and had to get rid of them. But it was really in the Putin years that the conspiracy theories about Soros and Russia picked up. And in 2015, open society was pushed out. In my opinion, this is in part because Soros has given money to foster free thinking, scientific-based thinking, and intellectual work in Russia. And in part, it's because of his work in the former Soviet space in Georgia, in Ukraine, and giving money to countries. He would say that it's to make sure that these countries can be independent and democratic and free and open. I think that Putin would and has said that he's funding revolutions or that he's backing power transfers and that he's trying to move them away from Russia. I think the interesting part about this right now is that in addition to what is happening with his image in Russia, George Soros is now part of let's say, the environment of conservative or maybe ultra-conservative websites in the United States. So how did he make that leap? Because it feels to me that people who are tweeting about him or Facebooking or whatever may not even know who he is, but his name now is so symbolic. How did that happen? Well, Soros conspiracy theories have been around for decades You see them in Central and Eastern Europe throughout the 90s, whenever a more liberal-leaning figure came to power. But they really pick up steam in the United States at first around the 2004 election, when Soros becomes a political donor and is trying to get George W. Bush out of office. Then you have people like Dennis Hastert saying that Soros is smuggling drugs. You have Fox News railing against George Soros. In 2010, Glenn Beck does a three-hour documentary about the evils of George Soros. Mm. The kind of Soros conspiracy theories that we have now really pick up in 2015 after the Syrian refugee migration crisis. I think the version that we're seeing now originates in Hungary, in part through the work of people like Arthur Finkelstein and Connie Mack. So in some cases, you're saying, well, why do we hear the same lines about Soros in the United States and in Hungary. And in some cases, it's because there are American actors going back and forth between these two countries. So when we have Fiona Hill very recently being smeared as a Soros stooge in the National Security Council reportedly, that was reportedly the work of Connie Mack, who's a Hungarian government lobbyist. In some cases, you can trace the person who's bringing it back and forth. But I think more generally, what we have starting in 2015 and 2016 in some cases is that you have world leaders who are comfortable promoting these conspiracy theories. So why is it off of these fringe websites and onto the front page? Well, because you have the most powerful people in countries around the world who are repeating this disinformation. If you look at disinformation and the use of these conspiracy theories, 
How do they spread? I'd be interested just kind of in general. Is it because people are on Facebook and social media or is there an ecosystem for how they do spread? I mean, there's certainly an ecosystem for how things spread online. I think social media certainly helps because you have Facebook posts and you have Twitter posts. Twitter is just now coming to regulate some of what's posted. Facebook is still very hesitant to do that. I also think it's important to note that in the United States, we'll have the government push back against Russian outlets and Chinese outlets. But a lot of these conspiracy theories, I personally think, find a wider audience on certain American media channels. So they're sort of passed around on the internet, but I don't want to discount the role that traditional conservative American media has in sharing these conspiracy theories, some of which, yes, originated in Russia, but I think have found fertile domestic ground here. Hmm. Conspiracy theories, of course, have existed for hundreds or even thousands of years. Mm -hmm. But I'd like to try out a theory on you, (laughs) which has to do with the internet. It goes like this, that the world now, because of the internet and all of the information that we have surrounding us, is a very confusing place. And people Mm -hmm. find it very difficult to understand what exactly is happening, what's true, what's not. And when you have a conspiracy theory, it ostensibly put some structure on how the world is run. George Soros and others like him are behind the scenes, kind of like the Wizard of Oz, pulling Mm -hmm. the levers and changing things. And according to this theory, it gives people an idea that they get it. Now they understand how the world works. What do you think of that? I buy into your theory. I'm a journalist and people often talk about the old days when there were three TV channels and you got your news from there. And now... There's much more of an onus both on media companies to distinguish what they're reporting is factual and convince. I don't mean to suggest that if the readers don't believe us, that that's the fault of the readers. However, I do think that there is more of an onus on the average person going through their day to separate the wheat from the chaff and to try to determine what's true and what's not. So to your point, if you have kind of a bedtime story that you can tell yourself that will convince you that you already know what's true and what's not, I can see how that would be comforting for some people, particularly because not to be like in these uncertain times, because what times aren't uncertain, but with the pandemic and with the protests against Philly's brutality and systemic violence, I think it's horrible to say that George Soros is behind this or profiting from it. But I can understand why people would want to believe that, oh, well, the reason that people are telling me about this virus that's so dangerous and the reason that there's the people in the streets, it's all because of this one guy. It's not about some disease. It's not about shifting societal patterns or people trying to get accountability. It's just about George Soros. I can understand why people would cling to that. Mm -hmm. Now, on your book, The Influence of Soros, Politics, Power, and the Struggle for Open Society, Mm -hmm. how did you structure it? What are you trying to find out about Soros? Do you have a theory? So the book tries to do three things. The first is that it tries to assess what the influence of Soros actually is, because he has done a tremendous amount in politics and philanthropy and in finance. The second is that it tries to separate that influence out from the conspiracy theory and ask why his influence is so attractive to conspiracy theorists, some of whom are fringe figures, but some of whom, as we've discussed, run entire countries. And then finally, it asks whether if a society is really going to be an open society where we all can take part in discussion and debate, 
whether we can have an open society and also have somebody who has as much influence as Soros. So it's divided into nine chapters of nine episodes of influence. And I say in the introduction that he's done so much that somebody else could have written this book and chosen nine completely different things to focus on. But I have picked the things that I think or the moments in his life, the adventures, the expeditions, et cetera, that I think best evidence what his influence actually was and is. Fascinating idea. Emily Tamkin, thank you very much. The Influence of Soros. I'm sure we're all going to be very interested in reading it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Это Джордж Сорос, филантроп, который каждый год тратит 300 миллионов долларов на благотворительность в десятках стран мира. Kenan X is a product of the Kenan Institute at the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars in Washington, D.C. It's the Wilson Center's oldest program, founded in 1974 by George F. Kenan, American statesman, James Billington, historian and former Librarian of Congress, and historian S. Frederick Starr. Inspired by them, the Kennan Institute's mission is to improve America's understanding of Russia and the wider region. Thanks for listening.